God damn it, really? Hey, everybody, welcome to I'm Okay, You're Okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. With me, Bob Schneider, and your other host, Clint Wells. You're welcome. Well, welcome to I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay, the last episode of the year. And I was thinking about this because we do this with our other podcast, or my other podcast, rather. Usually on an episode like this, we would maybe talk through some of the highlights of the uh, the year, the IOK highlights. But this is a unique podcast because I don't remember anything we talk about on any episode. And uh, surely some were better than others, but uh, this is a unique, it's a unique show we put on here. There's no way for me to highlight anything because I don't really know what we talked about. No one can mm. see what you're doing, so it's not great podcasting. No, I'll describe it. Bob's licking a, what is that, a fake ice cream? It's fake! That's not a real ice cream. It's a squeeze toy for stress, but it's also a delicious looking ice cream. Man, it is not fun watching you pretend to lick that. I'll tell you that. I had all kinds of stuff lined up. I was going to wear these sparkle headphones, but I couldn't get them connected. So. so you got a bunch of props for our audio podcast. Hey, what we do here is we stimulate the imagination. Now, other people would have like video and like they would tell people what's going on or they wouldn't have any props at all. You know why? Because they're not trying to stimulate the imagination. All they're trying to do is get that dollar, dollar bill, y'all. But we're doing something more. Basically, what we're doing is we're taking people's brains and using them as the soil of a beautiful imagination garden. And what we're doing every week is we're planting little seeds Mm-hmm. Now, some of those seeds will grow into beautiful rainbows. Some of those seeds will grow into terrible thorny uh, trees that will be used, maybe, to place upon the head of the sa- of the next savior before he's murdered in public. We don't know. We don't know what people are going to do with the seeds that we plant, but that's what we're doing. We're planting seeds. Well, we can't be responsible for what happens. All we can do is plant water and nurture. We That's can't we even can wa- we can't even water. We're just planting the seeds. They have to be watered by the people that are listening. And how do they water them? Patreon.com backslash IOK. So that's like fertilizer. That'll make those seeds grow crazy. Or just listening. Listening every week, telling friends about it. That's watering their little imagination gardens. Hmm. Is that Satan that you've got your mouse sitting on, by the way? Uh it's a pentagram. It's not Satan. But it is a pentagram. <laughs> is that from Slayer, or is that just straight up Satan? No, that's just a uh, fascination I have with pentagrams and occult symbols, dude. Every time I see somebody at a Starbucks, that's always where I see it. By the way, wearing a pentagram chain, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> Satan's really infested the barista community. Can you can you leave room in my americano for your Satanism? Well, I, I always want to start up a conversation with them, but then I'm like, do I really? And I the mean, answer is no, of course I don't. You don't want to talk to a real Satanist, no way. They're not they're about as fun to talk to as a as a as a Christian. You don't really want to talk to anybody who's got a really like strong belief they want to ram down your throat. No, exactly. Exactly. My pentagram mouse pad is just more for fun and color. And it's, it's the same reason I have, you know, anything in this room. But I do I do have a ring with a pentagram on it and a necklace with a pentagram, and I do get 
people do notice it and they, you know, they see a kindred spirit in me, I suppose. No, here's what they want to do. They want to fire up the old conversation machine. And <laughs> yeah. that's why I know that's why you don't ever wear it. It's amazing how many people want to talk about anything. People are very lonely for yeah. conversation. I've noticed that in my tr- many travels around the world. And I think you're great at conver- uh, conversating. If that is indeed a word, which mm-hmm. I believe, let me look it up. Oh yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. But also at the same time, I know for you, that can be a burden sometimes. Well, if I'm, here's the, here's the best conversation that's going to happen. Cause I'm going to do my part regardless, whether or not I want to or not. But the best combos are when both parties really want to be having it. Then it's, right. then it's good. And if both parties know how to listen and know how to ask questions, even like, you know, how it is when you have a young kid, you're trying to teach them how to be a person. And so you're teaching them manner, you're teaching them about how to behave in society. One of the things that I often teach Nova, if she's got a friend over, if she's FaceTiming her grandparents, is I'll say, ask them a question about themselves. Take interest in the person you're talking to. And a lot of people don't get that because there's nothing worse than someone in a convo who really doesn't know how to have one, who will just talk and talk forever. And if you get a nice guy like you or me, who knows that people want to be heard, we're nodding and smiling and sending lots of social cues that uh, you're holding the mic too long. You got to pass the mic. Some people don't know that. Dude, I don't pass the mic, dude. Once I'm on the mic, I don't, you know it. Dude, I've looked at our streams and it'll just be one long waveform and that's me. And then there's one empty waveform and that's where all of your anger is. All of your frustrations are in that emptiness of the waveform that is Clint Wells. I feel like you've gotten a lot better at it. Well, the one thing I've realized big time is that these podcasts are way better when it's a 50-50. When you're talking 50% of the time and I'm interrupting you saying stupid, silly shit, that's when it's the most fun. But when it's me just like, all right, let me tell you about blah, blah, blah. Dude, if I'm listening to me do that, I'm like, mm, what other podcasts can I listen to? And that's me. Yeah. And I love listening to me. So hold on. Before I even say another word, let me enjoy this delicious ice cream cone. Mm. Mm. The best thing about How's the pretend win mm. is there are no calories. But just me licking it into the camera. How gross is that? It's not my favorite. Mm. Mm. It's not my favorite thing. <laughs> What's going on with your big show tomorrow? So as of hearing this, it's New Year's Eve. This is going to be coming out on New Year's Eve. By the way, happy New Year's Eve, everybody. Happy New Year's Eve. Is that how you say it? No, you say happy New Year, I guess. Well, it doesn't matter. So yeah, so tonight, if you're listening to this, the day it comes out, which you, sh- which if you're not, what are you doing? If you're not listening to this episode, the day it comes out, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, what is more important than I'm okay, you're okay? I want to hear about your whole New Year's show, because people can still like get tickets to it, right? You put on a big New Year's show every year. Dude, this show is free. But this one's free. This is my, my first experiment into the free. Here's, here's the deal. It's been a long year. It's been tough for everybody and real tough for most. And for some people, not that tough. But here's what I wanted to do. I, I was just like, man, what can I do? To kind of say thanks, because doing the podcast, doing my live streams every Monday for Patreon, and doing the ticketed events every other week, dude, that has gotten me through the year. It's the only thing that's really kept my sanity. And so I was like, well, what can I do 
why don't I just do a big ass long live stream where I count down the new year on all four time zones. And that's what I'm doing tonight. So it's going to start at 1130 Eastern time. And we're going to do the big countdown for New York City and the whole East Coast at midnight. And then at midnight, and it's just going to go for four hours. And then we'll do, you know, the Texas countdown at midnight. And then we'll do the Colorado countdown at midnight in the West Coast. Wow. So it's going to be a long show. It's going to be free. You can watch it on YouTube or Facebook, however you want to watch it. That sounds like a lot of fun. So, And then you've got some guests lined up, right? Zero guests. Oh, I thought you had had people sending you stuff in. No, I I did that for my Christmas show, which was great. Uh, gotcha. But I didn't know how I was going to do this show. And I mean, the thing that here's the thing, dude, doing a one hour live stream, which is what I normally do, is hard to narrow down the amount of songs I have into 15 songs is really hard. But four hours, dude, I can play all my favorite shit in four hours. It's going to be fun. Awesome. We're going to do a lot of, a lot of fun stuff. A lot of, uh, we're going to have fun. It's going to be a fun night. Do you ever play your songs and maybe it's one we're halfway through it. You're just not really feeling it and you want to stop. No. Cause it's like three minutes and I'm a pro. <laughs> Dude, I can sit through anything for three minutes. I'll sometimes sit around my studio and like, what if I played 10 of my songs like somewhere and I'll start going through the ones that I kind of know a little bit. And some of them I get halfway through them and I'm like, this sucks. I would never play this song. I wonder if artists deal with that too. So historically, I've played at the Saxon Pub now for 20 years. Obviously not this year because of COVID. But I still play every Monday live. And what I try to do on Mondays is I try to visit old material that I don't play very often or new material. And what will happen always, what happens is you start playing a song in front of people and you realize, oh, this is not a good song. (laughs) But- there's something kind of fun and magical about that, learning that while you're doing it. it you, you're not like, you ju- you're just hoping the song will get better and then lots, it doesn't. And then you just finish and you're like, well, <laughs> you guys are, are in a unique situation because you just heard that song for the first and last time because I'll <laughs> never play that shit again. But you have the confidence of knowing you got a good band around you because you always have a good band at those gigs. And I will say this about that audience, the Saxon pub, pub audience, which I've, you know, I've played with you in front of a million times. They're down, man. They're down for a ride. And I, that includes new material. That includes taking, that includes jumping off the cliff. All of those, those 200 people in that room are going to jump off that cliff with you. Well, my favorite thing that I used to do at Saxon, and I haven't done it on Monday nights. I haven't done it, but you know. If I were to live stream for another four or five years, I'm sure I would start doing it. Because I don't think I did this for the first three or four years that I was playing at Saxon Pub. But at a certain point, I really, truly stopped giving up any kind of shit on Monday nights. Like, truly not giving a fuck. (laughs) And when that happens and you're playing live, dude, I've done things where I'll like dig into an accent And I'll do it for two minutes, three minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And when you're digging a hole for 15 minutes and there are people there watching it. Let's get that digging a hole theme music happening, by the way. Dude, it gets scary. Well, let me tell you what that's like when you're on stage with you 
and you're doing that because <laughs> you're the captain of the ship and it's your world you built. Okay. So you can make that world as strange as you want because you are the king of that world. Guess who's just working in that world? Guess who's just on the clock in that world? Clint Wells. Me. And so I'm watching you burn it all down or take everyone on a ride, but we got to go on that ride with you and still somehow do our jobs. So that can get, that can be as fun as it sounds like. And they can also get like, oh boy, what are we doing? I remember someone at the Saxon requested, they said we were too loud. They told someone to turn it down. And we did, (laughs) oh my God. We did like a 30 minute James Brown, uh, take it to the bridge. What song is that? Sex machine. Sex machine. We did like 30 minutes of sex machine, barely over a whisper. Because <laughs> someone said we were too And I remember the way the Saxon works, if anyone who hasn't been there, is after the gig, there's nowhere to go. The stage, no. literally, the door off the stage is like right out front of this patio, which I always loved the Saxon gigs. But you'd come out there and have a cocktail, but you are talking to everybody at the show. And I remember after that, a lot of people were like, really worn out by that 30 minutes because <laughs> it goes through all those waves of funny and then it's not funny and then it's annoying then it gets really kind of psychedelic funny it, it goes through all those cycles you know yeah i mean people that have been coming for years and years the regulars they know it they, they see know, it yeah. it's almost like a surfer who's 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 there in the water and they look up and they they see this like tsunami type wave coming they're like well there's two things we can do. Get out of the water or just ride the wave. Yeah, and these people, the these people that have been coming for years, they're just they're just like riding the wave. But it's scary, dude, because you don't know when it's going to end. You don't know how big it's going to be. <laughs> I remember one of them, for some reason, I was just in town. I was in town touring with Sean McConnell. We had a night off in Austin that was a Monday. So you were like, just come up and play because John was playing too. So I was sitting where Danny normally sits right by Rachel Loy, who was also sitting in. So it was Ollie, me, Rachel, you and Wayne, and then John. And you and you and Ollie got into this bit, right? Ac- like me and Rachel were right in the crossfire where you guys were just doing maniacal laughter. Oh, yeah. For like four or five minutes, which is a really long time. And well, we, did Rachel, the, we would do the, at the end of the song, Murder, we murder. would do a thing. <laughs> Where I would do maniacal laughter and then he would do crying. So you would hear, he would be bawling and I would be laughing. But then at some point I would morph into crying and he would morph out of crying into laughter. And then we could do that literally. Like, like a minute of that is, that's a long time. Yeah, it really is. But we probably, I mean, I know I've done it with him at least a few times where we've crossed the five minute threshold. Now, five, you don't understand how long five minute is. It's psychedelic. It really is. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. But <laughs> well, me, and, me and Rachel were trying to be cool. Because another thing, like a thing that Conrad had really well and that Oliver definitely has is like, they won't laugh at any of that. Oh, they, no. they'll, they'll play that. They're just so committed to the straight like bit of it. But me and Rachel were fucking crying. We were laughing so hard, dude. Like. I couldn't just do the bit. It was just too weird and too funny. It was too much of a ride. Well, the thing about Conrad is, I don't think he thought a lot of that was funny. <laughs> yeah, so he really wasn't laughing. <laughs> so he ain't laughing if he de- if he doesn't think it's funny, which actually makes it even funny <laughs> for sure. Like if somebody's just being annoyed, oh my god, 
That's the best. It's just so funny because when I came into your that world, I remember that first tour, no one prepared me for any of that shit. I know. I thought you, just you, showed, just, you just showed up thinking it was another gig. You're yeah, a pro. Yeah. You, I sent you a list of songs to learn. You learned them all. Yeah. You show up the first night, at least half the set were songs you've never heard. <laughs> yeah. Like, and you're like, what is going on? <laughs> oh, dude. And you guys started doing all the bits. We started ma- like, on makeup songs on the spot. And you're like, well, I guess we're doing it. Yeah. No one ever told me. Like, like if someone, if, if someone I knew was like, hey, I'm going to be playing guitar with Bob. What, you know, do you have any advice? There's a whole list of things I'd tell that person. Right. A whole list. Hey, th- it's going to be kind of like this and like this and be prepared for this. No one told me a goddamn thing. No one I said know. anything. Did you flew in? We didn't even know you at all. We I had know. just met you that one time in Carmel. I know. And then I'd gotten your number and then you just flew in blind. And I forget, <laughs> where was it? The, where was that first gig where you flew into? No, I think I flew into Austin because the bus left out of, out oh, of your you house. Oh, you did? Okay. So I'm just sitting in your house. Didn't know you. Didn't know anyone. Bruce Hughes walks in. Never met him. Because when I saw you guys at Carmel, it was Harmony. Right. So Bruce walks in. I never met Jay. I never met any one of these people. Never met Conrad. I mean, maybe at that Carmel gig, but we were just stealing all the booze off your bus. I didn't think I'd ever see any of you fucking idiots again. Right. Because <laughs> we were in a really, really rough van tour. Dude, that's got to be so weird. Because now my gig is great. Everybody in my band is great. We don't party a lot, but we do party. Yeah. But it's not like out of control crazy where like the cops are involved or no. people are getting into fights. It's just fun. Yeah. And everybody's cool and everybody's pro. But dude, you've got to have gigs where you show up and these guys are just a bunch of drunk squirrels. Yeah. Not as much at, at my stage, but in my 20s. Oh, yeah, dude. Show up and you you see that. It's kind of like what you were worried about me, you know, when you guys saw me drink and didn't really know me, then you found out it was fine. But there's a couple of dudes that I've met in my travels where it's like, yeah, the first gig, you kind of see them get lit up a little bit. And then you're like, oh, boy, this is going to get dicey. And it usually does. But I was also along for that ride in my 20s, man. I, I did crazy shit in my 20s on tour. Your gig is great because everyone was just more seasoned, you know? I learned a lot from everybody <clears throat> on that gig. That was my first bus gig. That was a, that was a first for a, a lot of things for me. So I looked up to everybody on those runs. There's no, there's no doubt that the difference between riding in a van and riding in a tour bus is the difference between living like on top of a trash can in a fucking dump in India and like staying at a Four Seasons hotel. Yeah. It's real nice. Dude, when you're in a van, I did I did this van tour. Now, this was back when I was drinking still, right at the end of my drinking career. We did two and a half months opening up for Dave Matthews across the entire country. And now two and a half months sounds like a long time, but when you do it in a van, what, hap- what happens in a van, I'll just tell you, I'll break it down and you, you can agree <laughs> with me or, or not agree with me or, sure. or add to what I'm saying. But what happens is every day that you're in a van, you're losing a little bit of sleep that you can never make up for the duration of the tour. So at the end of a week, you're a little tired. At the end of two weeks, you're exhausted and you're missing home. But if it's a three-week tour, you can kind of crawl to that through that th- third week and, and get home and be okay. But if you get to that third week and you've got 
seven more weeks to go. Now you're just in survival mode. (laughs) You're just in survival mode. Everybody starts getting real annoying. You're trying not to talk to anybody. You're trying to scratch out little areas of the day where you can get like just a few minutes of shut eye. And then the rest of it, you're either playing or drinking or who knows what until by, I'm going to say week six. If you get to week six, at that point, you don't even know who you are anymore. You're a different person. You're not the person that left home. You've morphed into some road zombie person. The Oregon trail. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're in the middle. You're like, well, I guess I'll make it. I don't know. I don't even know who I am. I don't know what I'm doing. None of all the songs sound like bullshit to you. Like every time you play the song, you're like, why does anybody even like this song? This song is bullshit. All of this is bullshit. Everything's bullshit. Life is bullshit. Like, and nothing makes sense anymore. It's so accurate. It's scary. You've got four weeks to go now. You've got four weeks to go in that when you're there. Oh my God, dude. And then people are shocked when bands break up. Right. Dude, I'm shocked. If a band can stay together, I am shocked. It's so hard being on the road. Now that's in a van. Now, when you're in a in a bus, you can get in your bunk, you can get away from people. You know, you have your own space. Well, when I met you in Carmel, we were on an eight-week tour, and we were right in the middle of it. So we were crazy. Yeah. We were really nuts. And the way I used to frame it, I don't know why we did it this way. We would basically do the whole country in one tour. Right. So we would start out of Nashville, do all the Southeast, go all the way up the East Coast, then come down through like Michigan and Chicago all the way to like Vancouver. <clears throat> and that would be about week five. We'd be at the very tip Pacific Northwest corner of the country. And then I remember we'd be in that week five, six of insanity. And I'd think to myself, every mile after this, I'm getting closer to home. That's all I cared about was going home. Right. So we'd go all the way down California and through, you know, I mean, yeah, we were insane when we met you. Because you're right, you you just first week you're excited to be on the road. You're excited about all the shit coming up. You've got some buddies you're going to see in LA. You got some buddies you're going to see in Portland. You've got it all planned out. You've put it all together. By week two or three, the set feels really good because you've played it fifteen or twenty times. So the 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 stage is great. But a little bit of that, I hate. I think I hate the guy next to me starts to creep in. Right. And by week five or six, dude, our drummer and our lead singer had already had a fight. A couple of people have been fired sent home and then backed off of that we weren't speaking throwing pizza at each like just really dark shit and then we'd get on stage and i don't know i was with a band well i won't say who it is but we'd get on stage and do the magic trick and that always felt really hard like by the time we got to the troubadour we were acting like we were buddies on stage but it was not the case man and yeah the songs felt crazy it's a weird way to live. I, I tried to explain it to a few people recently, like some of my buddies that aren't in the music industry. It's not a normal way to live. I, your tour, when I started touring with you, was the first time I ever encountered the go out for two weeks and come back, which made a lot of sense. Right. You'd hit the well, East Coast, come back, hit the Midwest, come back, hit the West Coast, come back. Right. Well, what, what happened was I had a kid. So, you know, I had, that was, you know, 15 years ago, Luke was born and- I just didn't want to be away. I could, the idea of being away for five days was terrible. I definitely wasn't going to go out for three weeks. 
So eventually I got it down to two weeks, which which seemed great because you're right. Because that first week, everybody's happy. Everybody's excited. The second week, you start getting a little tired, but you're going home at the end of that week. Yeah. So it's it, it makes it really manageable. The reason a lot of people do these long tours is because they get a big hit on the radio and they want to cash in on that success because it's usually fleeting. So the idea is, okay, we're going to maximize the success that we're having and that's why we're going to keep touring. But if you don't have that kind of success, if you don't have that kind of radio play, there's no reason to do a long tour. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, I just can't even imagine what... <clears throat> our hangs were like meeting fans. I mean, it's just, we were just so burnt to a crisp, dude. It's, it was such a crazy way to do it. And what's really crazy is we would just do it again the next year. It's like we would forget how hard it was. We did right. that every year for several years. Well, I remember at the end of that Dave Matthews tour, we were in Rhode Island in Providence at this hotel. And we were always staying at nice hotels because between, it was Big Head Todd and the Monsters, Dave Matthews band and us. And between the three of us, we had enough rooms to where we could like book, we'd book like 60 rooms for the bands and the crew. So we would stay at pretty nice places for, you know, the price of what we'd normally pay at like a holiday inn. So we're staying in these, you know, double trees, places like that. Nice, yeah. nice hotels. And we were in Rhode Island. And I remember I was so crazy and out of it that, the night we were there, we had just been, me and Bruce both had been given these brand new, beautiful uh, Gibson acoustic, I think it was Gibson, Gibson acoustic guitars, like beautiful, Ex expensive, you know, $1,500, $2,000 guitars. And that same night that I got the guitar in the hotel room, I smashed it to smithereens. <laughs> and when I woke up the next morning, I looked up and there was literally 50 cigarettes that were stacked on the, on standing straight up like this on their filter. Yeah. Burnt, burnt down. Cause when I would finish smoking mine, just not, there was no ashtray. So I'd just put them on the, on the bed stand filter down, standing straight up. There was 50 of those and the entire room was completely covered in sawdust and pieces of this guitar. Now, I did have a roommate, Sean McCarthy, who told, because I don't remember any of it. I was like, what happened last night? And he goes, uh, well, first thing you did was try to climb out the window. Wow. Luckily, the windows only in the double tree only opened like two inches because we we're on like the 20th floor or something. I was trying to open up the window to jump out or get a better view or who knows what I was doing. At that point, I was so crazy. And then when that didn't work, I decided to smash the guitar and then go night-night. <laughs> and then wake up the next day and then and then do it all again. Do it again, yeah. Well, when we were doing those tours, we were the whole band was in one room with a tour manager. And we were having to basically lie to the hotel staff because they, they wouldn't normally let five adults stay in a room. So we were having to get four of us in there and then sneak get like a hideaway bed for the fucking tour manager for eight weeks. Oh, buddy, it got dicey. <laughs> you imagine Dude, me here's, like that? This is all I know. So once we, once we get in the, yeah, once we got on the tour bus, we didn't get rooms. So the way the tour bus works is you drive through the night to your next gig and you sleep in your bunks at night. And then when you get to your destination, you stop at a hotel or you stop at the venue and you get one room for the driver 
so he can sleep because obviously he's got to sleep because he's going to be driving that night after the gig. And you get one room for the band. It's called the cleanup room or whatever. And everybody uses that room to shower and poop in. <laughs> you don't want to be the last one in that Dude, room. You always want to be the first person in that in the band room because by the end of it dude if you took a blue light or any sort of dna sampling situation <laughs> to that room it would not be good but here's here's how you don't get here's how you don't get the the first crack at that room if you stay up all night drinking like me cuz <laughs> <laughs> some early risers in that camp. We're not here's, be the here's, who's in, here's who's in that room first. I'll give you one name. You and me both know who the first person in that room is going to be. We'll say it at the same time. I'm going to count to three, okay. and then we'll say the name. Ready? Uh, one, two, three. Bruce, Bruce Hughes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, my God. Because he's smart. Dude, I remember that night when I met him at your house waiting for the bus. It's that horrible new job, new people. We're about to get on a bus. I didn't know how it was going to go. And I remember him telling Ted, and this is my first experience with this. He was like, Ted, all I care about is that you keep water stocked in the bus. He's like, I don't care about anything else. Just please keep water in the bus. And then, you know, I've been living on a bus for like eight years now. And it is so true. Like, Water is the most crucial thing to keep on the bus. And he, I remember him saying it that first night before I ever even got on one. So he's, he was wise. He'd done some touring. He'd been out with you forever. He was out with Mraz. He'd done a bunch of shit. Yeah. There's Uncle just, Cr- or Cracker and Fastball, all that shit. Yeah. There's some basic rules. Water on the bus is real important. Well, because you need it for your coffee. You, you can't drink bus water. Everyone's, I mean, dude, I keep like six waters in my bunk. I was also drinking a lot and often extremely dehydrated, but um, we've had such a good time that we got to go. We got to wish everyone a happy new year. Happy new year. Happy 2021. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I'm sure. Thank you for spending your time with us this year on IOK. And we got a lot more shit going on, by the way, sent out all the postcards yesterday. All right. They're beautiful. They went out. So if you're in our Patreon, you'll be getting a postcard soon. If you want to be on our Patreon, go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash I-O-K. Sign up today. You'll get postcards and you'll get video uh, footage of these episodes where you can see me doing this, <laughs> which is, you know, that's and, worth whatever you're paying on Patreon. And I may actually start a fans only channel where I'm just uh-oh. doing this. Only fans where Bobby just oh, licks only the fake fans. ice cream. <laughs> fans only. I just found out about only fans yesterday. Ooh, right. We should talk about OnlyFans on the Secret Weekly because you also get access to the Secret Weekly where we have over, I think, around 90 little bonus episodes. They're usually five to 10 minutes long. Last week's was 12 minutes long. That was a great one. And uh, as soon as you sign up, you just get all this shit dumped into your sweet little beautiful lap. Dude, if that's not enough, you can watch. Uh, and when I say watch, I mean, listen to Clint on his podcast, Metal Up Your Podcast, which is a very successful, very popular podcast, or my podcast, The Song Club. You can get them wherever you get. Uh, your podcast. Well, let's kick it to the Secret Weekly. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 